Welcome, and this is the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we are so glad that you are listening in today. As God's people, we are concerned with reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, look us up on our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. Please subscribe to always get the next podcast. Christopher Parkening appeared to have it all. He was considered perhaps the greatest guitarist alive, considered to be the successor of Andre Segovia. And Segovia even declared that Parkening was one of the most brilliant guitar players in the world. He signed to an international recording deal as a teenager, and Parkening traveled across the world playing beautiful classical music. But at the age of 30, having achieved all the musical success that he could ever imagine, Parkening felt empty. He was tired of touring and wanted to take a break from the rigors associated with it. So Parkening ultimately decided to move to Montana and he took up fly fishing as a hobby. Soon, Parkening was not only one of the greatest guitarists in the world, but also a world-class fly fisherman with all the money and all the time he could ever want. And yet, despite all his success, his life was empty. He wrote, if you arrive at a point in your life where you have everything that you've ever wanted and thought that would make you happy and it still doesn't, then you start to question things. It's like finding the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and being unhappy. At this point, Parkening began to wonder if anything could fulfill the deep longings of his heart. It was around this time, while visiting with friends, Parkening attended church. And during the service, he was struck by 1 Corinthians 10.31, Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. He explained, I realized there were only two things I knew how to do. I could fly fish and I could play the guitar. Well, I'm playing the guitar today absolutely by the grace of God. I have joy and peace and a deep down fulfillment in my life I've never had before. My life has a purpose. I learned firsthand the true secret of genuine happiness. Now Parkening teaches classical guitar to students at the Pepperdine University, but instead of doing it for himself... He now has the opportunity to do it all for the glory of God. All too many of us are familiar with that sort of dissatisfaction. Perhaps we don't have wild success, but dissatisfaction, unhappiness with life, a sense of unfulfillment is nonetheless all too real for so very many of us. Today we encounter in the Gospel of Mark a man who had lost everything, Satisfaction was far beyond his grasp. He is identified without a name and simply as a man with leprosy. And while some people cannot find satisfaction at the top, this man was at the bottom of life. There was no further down to go. It's a story with some strange quirks, to be sure, but it's a story showing the majesty of Jesus. It reveals Jesus as God, Jesus as healer, Jesus as the restorer, Jesus as the one who takes our place to redeem us. And we learn from the story that if you want satisfaction in life, you must recognize God's authority over you. And how are we going to live under God's authority? Well, if I'm going to recognize the authority of God over my life, I need to be honest about my condition, to surrender my pride, and to live with the expectation that God is good, powerful, and loving. When I am able to put these three ideas into practice, I am able to experience the best that life has to offer. So let's read the text in Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. 
A man with leprosy came to him, meaning Jesus, and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. What a story! Healing! Restoration! A story of Jesus changing the life of this man from outcast to a man restored and celebrated by the community. There is a strangeness to the story. I mentioned that already. The NIV recounts Jesus' response to the man with the words, He was indignant. Indignant is not a word we often use to describe Jesus. Indignant, uh, it's not a word we probably use all that much in our everyday lives, but it can be understood as annoyance and perhaps seeing something as unfair. I'm annoyed with this because it just shouldn't be. Why would Jesus be indignant? In fact, most other Bible translations other than the NIV read a little differently. They say Jesus was moved with pity or compassion. And these are perhaps easier translations to get our minds around. But they do not ask us to pause and think much about Jesus' reaction to the man. But the text does say he was indignant. Indignant with what? Not the man. And I know that he's not indignant with the man because Jesus immediately reaches out and touches him before he's healed. And then he heals him. That order is actually very important. The man is untouchable, but not for Jesus. You don't heal someone you're indignant with, but Jesus heals this man. Perhaps Jesus was indignant with leprosy and what it has done with this man and to this man. He knew this was not how people were to live or what was best for this man. I like Eugene Peterson's take in the message. You know, it's, it's a paraphrased version of the Bible, but it's got some interesting uh, takes on different texts. And Eugene Peterson simply says, Jesus was deeply moved. And I think that leaves room for both the idea of compassion and indignation. So there you have compassion for the man and frustration at the disease wrapped up in one. And that's something we need to understand. Jesus knows our struggles, and he knows our condition, and he knows that we were designed for so much better. In the Gospel of John, Jesus will receive the news of a dear friend of his, Lazarus. Lazarus is very sick. That's the news, and so Jesus goes to see him. In fact, Lazarus is so sick that while Jesus is traveling to see him, Lazarus dies. Upon arrival, Jesus sees Lazarus' sister Martha and also or Mary and also Martha. And in John 11.33, we're told this, When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and was troubled. Jesus knew that death was not the intended design for us, for people. 
Jesus knew that he had made us for magnificently more, everlasting life with God. And Jesus was so moved that from the Gospel of John, we get the shortest, most pointed verse in the entire Bible. It's John eleven thirty five. His reaction to everybody's sorrow and the situation, we're simply told, Jesus wept. So was Jesus indignant or moved with compassion? That's the question here about this man. What, what a strange word. And I say the answer is yes. He cared deeply about this man and so healed and restored him. And he also saw that this disease ravaged this, man, this man's body and life. And this bothered him as a tragedy, as any tragedy or injustice would bother anyone. I believe Jesus was also indignant because he knew what healing this man was going to do to his ministry and the crowds of people who encountered this now better man. One of the strange details about this story is that the man, newly healed, disobeys Jesus. Instead of secretly going to the priest and getting the official bill of clean health, the man just excitedly and joyously tells everyone he knows that Jesus has healed him. And who could blame him? If you or I received such a miracle, we probably would do the same. But the man's disobedience makes it impossible for Jesus to enter local towns. The crush of the crowds is too great. And even though the text tells us that Jesus is pursued by the crowd, we are left with a fascinating detail. Jesus must stay in the lonely places. In fact, what we're told essentially is Jesus trades place with the leper. A person with leprosy was cut off from all humanity. It was a lonely life, and the restoration Jesus gives means Jesus takes the man's place, not with sickness, but in the lonely places. This is a story about the authority of Jesus, and a man pulled from living death to the restored life with God. This man is pulled from misery to peace and satisfaction, and we can find such transformation too. So I want to come back to those three important uh, actions we must take to be able to find satisfaction. And that first one is this. Satisfaction is found when I am honest, when you and I am honest about our condition. It is fitting that the man healed with leprosy is unnamed. In Israel, leprosy was one of the most, one of the worst conditions a person could have to endure. True leprosy is a terrible disease. It leaves fingers and toes deformed and your skin numbed. One of the great dangers for a person with leprosy uh, that they had to deal with was becoming injured because they wouldn't always know it. They would not feel a burn because of their numb skin or a cut or if something else uh, maimed their skin, they wouldn't feel it. And that was actually one of the dangers they experienced. And they actually might die because of injuries they were unaware of. And I don't doubt that this man had this form of leprosy. But you'll notice I said true leprosy because the Bible has much to say about Israelites and what they were to do when someone was found with leprosy. And, and leprosy in the Bible is much broader than the disease itself. 
It seems that just about any skin condition was met with the same community response. Leviticus in the Bible in the Old Testament in chapters 13 and 14 contains a detailed litany of what to do for skin disorders and covers uh, conditions that we might identify as psoriasis or rashes or even just simply shiny spots on our skin, even mold in our clothes or nothing to do with our skin at all but mold in our homes. All these different things all fall under leprosy. And all of them involve the same practice, being cut off from the community completely until the condition is healed. And then for at least another seven days being cut off. Uh, We live in times we're familiar with the word quarantine. Imagine a skin condition that never goes away and you've had to live in a perpetual quarantine. To be a leper was to be alone. In fact, they were considered to be the living dead. No, not zombies, but they were people who were alive and dead to the community. They couldn't live in town. And whenever they traveled near people, they had to announce themselves loudly as to not risk letting others get contaminated. They had to announce from a distance so all could hear, unclean, unclean. Imagine walking around in your life every day, having to yell the thing you're most ashamed of to others. Imagine living life with a crippling skin disease, pain, frustration, fear, not knowing what's coming next to this condition. And on top of that, you are cut off from all other people, cut off from your family, your neighbors. Imagine, just take a moment and think of your family choosing their town over you. That would hurt so deeply. And that happened every day in the life of a leper. Why? Why did the leper have to be so separate from the community? Why this misery? Part was a concern for spreading the disease. But much more than that, far more than spreading the disease, Israelites feared something else. The Israelites saw leprosy as a physical expression of a spiritual problem. They saw leprosy as a sign that a person had a broken relationship with God, had sin in their life. And so the separation happened so that this religious contamination wouldn't spread through the community. Numbers chapter 12 verses 9 through 15 gives us a very vivid and yes, grotesque picture of leprosy. In this case, leprosy was given as judgment from God to Miriam, Moses' sister, who is struggling with pride against Moses and his relationship with God and the authority that he has from God. You can hear in this story why the Jewish people might connect leprosy with sin and leprosy with judgment from God. I'm going to read the text here. I know it's vivid, maybe more vivid than we're used to hearing in the Bible, but we need to hear these words to get a picture of how the community viewed leprosy. So Numbers chapter 12, verses 9 through 15, it says the anger of the Lord burned against them, meaning Aaron and Miriam, and he left them. 
When the cloud lifted from above the tent, Miriam's skin was leprous. It became as white as snow, and Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had a defiled, defiling skin disease, and he said to Moses, Please, my lord, I ask you not to hold against us the sin that we have so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like a stillborn infant coming from its mother's womb with its flesh half-eaten away. So Moses cried out to the Lord, Please, God, heal her. And the Lord replied to Moses, If her father had spit in her face, would she not have been in disgrace for seven days? Confine her outside the camp for seven days, and after that she can be brought back. So Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move on till she was brought back. Now, gruesomeness and all, I think we can begin to see the terrible picture that comes with leprosy. So, let's come back to the man in the Gospel of Mark, the unnamed man. And he's approached Jesus. And to be able to approach Jesus, had to be very, he had to be very real about the awful state that he was in. He had to be very honest about his condition. He had to know that he was taking a risk, even coming within touching distance of Jesus. This man had to be honest. He was sick. But even more, he needed to be restored to God. And that's one of the wonders of this text. This man asking Jesus to heal him is acknowledging, by asking Jesus to heal him, he is acknowledging that Jesus is God. The Israelites believe that only God could heal leprosy. And that's what this man is asking him to do. Think about Moses and Miriam. Aaron asked Moses to relieve Miriam of the condition of leprosy, and Moses' reaction is not to try to do anything himself, but to go and seek God and ask God to heal her. And in the Old Testament, there's another story of a man afflicted with leprosy. His name was Naaman. And in an effort to find healing, he goes to Israel. And in 2 Kings 5, verse 7, we hear what happens when he arrives in Israel. It says this, As soon as the king of Israel read the letter... He tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me? This king is saying, Only God can do this. I can't heal this. And it's strange because he's really saying, I I can't do this with leprosy. I mean, the king can't do any miracles, but... He also knows that healing can only come from God. So only God can do this. And God will do it in his way. So Naaman does actually receive instructions from the prophet Elijah on how God will heal him. He's told he must go to the Jordan River and wash seven times. It's not quite the instant healing that Jesus does for the man in Mark 1. In fact, Naaman reacts to that. In 2 Kings 5.11, it says, But Naaman went away, went away angry and said, I thought that he'd surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of leprosy. I think we've had Naaman moments like that. Many of us have. And we've said, God, you didn't do this the way I expected. I thought you were just going to snap your fingers, Lord, and make everything better. We've had moments like that. This leper in the Gospel of Mark, waiting for before Jesus, 
must be honest about his condition. It's physical, it's social, it's spiritual, and he needs to be restored to God. And he's willing to let God do it God's way. You and I, if we want to live life to its fullest, we must be honest about our condition. No matter how successful we are, how much we've achieved, how competent we are, there is a brokenness brokenness in us that is sin. And many of us live in denial. We say, well, I'm not that bad. God will surely give me a passing grade in life and, and let me into heaven. Yet sin makes us all living dead. We're all disfigured and grotesque in our sin and in need of healing. And sin is beyond our ability to fix. Only God can do this. Perhaps your struggle has been more specific. You have an addiction or a past that you cannot escape. Whatever it is, honesty with yourself and your condition and with God is the only way that you can move forward. The leper in Mark 1 had to feel the full gravity of his condition. And so did Naaman. And fortunately, after a time, Naaman surrenders his pride, and he goes and washes in the Jordan River and lets God work, and he's healed. Which, is, which leads us to a second critical detail of the story on how to live and find satisfaction. And that is this satisfaction is found when you and I surrender our pride. Harry Emerson Fosdick says this, A person wrapped up in himself is a small package. Ah, pride is so dangerous. It's so consuming. Some of the most successful people in the world are crippled by their pride and they don't even know it. Pride blinds us from what life should really be. Pride prevents us from experiencing the power of God. And the leper's surrender of pride is found in his simple words to Jesus. It's there in Mark chapter 1 verse 40. If you are willing you can make me clean. Your life would be changed if you could say those words with such sincerity. Those words locate all the power, all the possibility, all the decision-making under the authority of Jesus. This man is essentially saying Jesus is God, since we know that Jewish people believed only God could heal leprosy. Now think of his words very carefully. This man is begging to be healed But his words are not a question. They are a statement about Jesus. Because remember, this healing would also be a restoration of his relationship with God. And he says, Jesus, it's your will that matters and makes all the difference, not my wants. Jesus, you can do this. There's nothing in me that can make this change. If you will it, you can do it. Every inch of this man's belief, his faith, his knowledge is that he can do nothing and that Jesus can do it all. I want to take a moment and contrast that against another story in the Gospel of Luke where we find another man who wants to secure eternal life. And that's an important detail. The leper wanted healing, but in wanting healing, he wanted to be restored to God. And there's another story of a man who wants to be restored to God, secure eternal life. We often call this story the story of the rich young ruler. And Luke 18.18 tells us of what the ruler says when he encounters Jesus. And he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
Do you hear the difference? What must I do? The rich young ruler is locating the solution within his own ability. And Jesus, hearing this, begins to dig deeper. He wants to see what the man thinks about who he is, who Jesus is. And he says, well, no one is good but God alone. I can, I can just picture Jesus going, I wonder what he's going to say. Does he see me for who I am? Will this young ruler call Jesus God? And then Jesus lists out commandments from the law, and the rich young ruler says, well, I've done all these. I've, been, I've lived a good life. And then Jesus pushes it farther, and he says, sell all you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. Jesus is challenging this man with with how he's seeking eternal life, which is by doing it himself. And he keeps making it harder and harder, trying to show the man he can't secure salvation for himself by his own actions. The text tells us of a sad ending in Luke 18.23. That rich young ruler, when he heard this, sell all you have, give it to the poor and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. His wealth did not keep him from securing his place in heaven. His self-sufficiency kept him from it. The rich young ruler and the leper want the same thing, a right relationship with God. The rich young ruler wants to know what he should do. The leper knows that there is nothing he can do. It is all located in the authority and the majesty of Jesus. And so the question is, is are you like the leper or the young ruler? It is too easy for us to ask, God, what must I do? God, how do I become worthy? God, what must I do to become good? We find satisfaction and wholeness in surrender, the surrender of our pride. Will you shelve your pride and recognize the authority, the will, and the action of Jesus? Hudson Taylor says this, Many Christians estimate difficulty in the light of their own resources, and thus they attempt very little, and they will always fail. All giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on His power and presence to be with them. We must be honest about our condition, and we must surrender our pride. And to find satisfaction, we must most importantly live by the expectation that God is good and powerful and loving. It is easy in a tough world to gain a jaded and suspicious perspective. We can decide, I'm the only one who cares enough to fix my problem. We can decide, there's nothing I can do. I'm helpless. I can only be what happens to me. We can get angry and try to blame others. You know, a common response I hear all the time when religion is brought into a conversation is an anger, a low-burning anger, and a hurt person then says, well, I blame God. Lastly, a way we can react to the jadedness of life is we can be hurting so much that we give up and we succumb to despair. And despair is not living. It's a constant grief and a constant struggle. It's miserable. In Mark 1, our leprous man shows us another way. He could blame God. He could despair. He could decide he's the only one who could make his life better. But he does something different. And to be fair, he's a man who takes risk. He has action in what he's doing to get healed. 
he goes to Jesus in a way that's forbidden for those with leprosy. So he's acting to make things happen. But instead of blame or despair, he believes God to be good. I firmly believe that you find what you're looking for, even if what you're looking for is not true. So if you believe that the in, that in life the deck is stacked against you, whether that's true or not, you'll find example after example of moments that won't go your way. If you've always believed that something bad is waiting around the corner, guess what? You'll find those bad moments. And if you look for good, you'll find it. And I know many people who doubt God. And guess what? They look all the time for ways to confirm their doubt, and they find those ways, even though it's not true. There's no reason to doubt God. Here's what I found about God. He's gentle. He doesn't just barge into our lives. He leaves it to us to decide to believe or to doubt. Here are three decisions the man with leprosy had to decide to live by when he encounters Jesus. He had to decide that God is good. And Jesus shows that goodness by touching the unclean man. This man lived as one who could not be loved. He had to stay away from people. He had to live in loneliness. He took a risk in drawing near to Jesus, and Jesus might get mad at him for getting too close. Jesus might reject him and refuse to restore the man to God. There are all kinds of awful reactions that Jesus could have, but this man lives in expectation of the goodness of God. This is a make-or-break moment for this man. I picture him face down on the ground. That's how he's described in the Gospel of Luke. He's nervous. He's wondering what Jesus will do. Jesus, if you are willing, I can picture the man thinking, boy, I hope he's willing. There's nowhere else for me to go. You can heal me. And then he waits. It had to be a moment that seemed like it stretched into eternity. And then that leprous man feels something he hasn't felt in a long time. Someone touches him, the hand of Jesus. This would have been the first human touch this man experienced since the moment he found he had leprosy. And I don't know long how long he had leprosy. It could have been years. In that moment, before he is healed, before he is cleaned, before he is restored, he experiences the goodness of God, God caring and accepting him as a leper. He is welcome to God, and you are welcome to God. He, he feels that touch. God is good. The second truth that this man had to choose to live by is that God is powerful. We see that in the story in Jesus healing the man. Perhaps this is the easiest one to see. The man experiences the power of God and his immediate healing. In the blink of an eye, that which has made this man one of the living dead is now gone. He's no longer the leper. He is healed. He is restored to his family, his community. He's restored to God. He's living by the power of God now. And the third truth that he has to live by to find satisfaction is to know that God is loving 
And we see that in the story when Jesus trades places with the man. See, our story ends with a strange twist. Jesus immediately sends the man away and commands him not to tell anyone that he's healed. Instead, he is to go to the priest and go through the prescribed practice that's laid out in the Old Testament book of Leviticus. It's a very detailed and ornate practice. And Jesus' healing, it's complete. But for this man to truly be welcomed back into the community, he'd have to go through a ritual. And Jesus knows this and he wants him to do it. And then in the strangest expression of gratitude, it's it's really strange, the man refuses. Instead of not saying anything and going through what Jesus tells him to do, he just runs about and tells everyone what Jesus has done. And he, he makes it impossible for Jesus to enter the local towns. There's such an excitement, such a buzz over what's happening. And we're told that Jesus has to stay out in the lonely places. I think Jesus knew this was going to happen. And he was willing to take on this loneliness to heal and restore the man. Here's the picture I want you to see. The story begins with the man afflicted with leprosy. Literally, he is a man who is cut off and alone. Jesus heals him, restores him, and now Jesus must be alone. They trade places. Or perhaps Jesus takes this man's place of loneliness. And this foreshadows how Jesus will take care of all of us when it comes to the disease of sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 Peter 2.24 says this, He himself bore our sins in his body, on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. That is the love of Jesus. He takes our place. Will you let him take that place in your life? Will you let him wield that goodness, that power, that love over you? As we draw to a conclusion, I just want to share one other story. You might find odd since we've been talking about leprosy this whole time. Now we're going to talk about a king. The king's name is Canute. In the years 1014 to 1035, there ruled over England a Danish king named Canute. And King Canute grew tired of hearing his retainers flatter him with extravagant praises of his greatness, of his power, of his invincibility. And so, one day, he ordered his chair to be set down on a seashore, and there he commanded the waves not to come in and cover him over. He commanded the waves not to get him wet. And no matter how forcefully he ordered the tide to not come in, his order was not obeyed. Soon the waves lapped around his chair. One historian tells us, therefore, he never wore his crown again, but he hung it on a statue of the crucified Christ the one who can command the wind and the waves. We can waste so much time and energy trying to command waves that are not ours to command. And my question for you is, where do you place the crown of authority in your life? Do you wear it, trying to rule, or do you give it over to Jesus? And this is where we will find true satisfaction. Honesty about ourselves, Surrendering our pride, 
and expecting to encounter the goodness and power and love of God. Can you speak the words of the leper? Can you say them with true sincerity and honesty so that you give authority to Jesus? Can you say, if you will it, you can heal me? That sort of honesty will change everything in your life. Let us pray, and I want to share a prayer with you from Julian of Norwich. She prays for satisfaction in Christ. She writes these words, O God of your goodness, give me yourself, for you are enough for me. I can ask for nothing less that is completely to your honor, and if I do ask for anything less, I shall always be in want. Only in you I have all. What a good prayer. And Lord, this is my prayer, and I pray for the person who hears this today, who needs a fresh touch from you, that you would bless them, that you they would find all of their satisfaction in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Go with Jesus.